This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it here on the Graybar Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pauley. Into our second and final hour of the program, as we just uh, mentioned to you during the top of the hour news, we do have some breaking news as Dakota Hudson, Andrew Kisner, Juan Yepes, and Jake Woodford are four players that the Cardinals did not tender contracts for next season, uh, essentially ending their tenures with the club. So... That means a lot. First off, Dakota Hudson could have gone either way. Uh, doesn't shock me. I, at times, it felt like the organization was ready to move on from him. Uh, Juan Yepes, clearly the organization was ready to move on from him. They had millions, not millions, but you get what I'm saying. They had many. They had many opportunities to give him more big league opportunities next year or last year, and they didn't until late. So that's not a surprise. Jake Woodford, man, talk about a guy who was given every opportunity to do something this past season and just could not run with it. He had a fantastic spring. You can make the argument that he had the best spring of any Buddy, who was you know starting games for the Cardinals, and he just could not replicate his spring training success in the um, in the regular season. Andrew Kisner, this is the this is the surprising one, and we'll take your phone calls. By the way, so we're available to you 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can also tweet at me at Matt. Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you want to uh, comment on uh, the players that the Cardinals have non-tendered, we will certainly take your comments. Again, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text or you tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air. A lot of people were caught somewhat off guard when the Cardinals protected Avon Herrera and uh, all of a sudden that was not Avon Herrera, excuse me, um, when they uh, protected, excuse me, uh, Pedro Pajes the other day, uh, and that put four catchers on the 40-man roster. So when when they did that, it was like four, four catchers on the 40-man roster, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And now we know why. Andrew Kisner no longer going to be with this team, it would appear. What that means, uh, at least right now, is that Avon Herrera is going to be given the opportunity to uh, be on the big league roster and back up Wilson Contreras. And Pedro Pajes becomes your emergency guy, your other catcher who's on the 40-man roster. So that's a, that's a little bit of a surprise, I think, that uh, Andrew Kisner appears to be done in the organization. Let's grab our first phone call of the day. Don has given us a call. Hey, Don, you're on Sports Open Line. How you doing, Matt? Doing uh, right. Does that surprise you that the four that they didn't tender contracts to? And and basically, do you really think this ownership's going to spend the money to, to, to get them out of the last place uh, seller they were in this past year? Because if they don't, uh, Matt, they're not going to sell so many tickets, season tickets this year. Because I'm going to tell you something. Because you know the Cubs are going to spend money. And I doubt the Milwaukee is, because I know you commented on that the other day, that they're they're basically trading everybody off their team. Everybody's available for trade. So you you answer my questions and see if this ownership. I really don't have no confidence in this ownership, to be honest with you, Matt. Right. And I'm a I'm a true Cardinal fan too, by the way. Cool, Don. I, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the phone call. 
I think they're going to spend upwards of the uh, you know the, the two hundred or so million dollars that they say is essentially allotted in the um, for the payroll for this season. I think they're going to spend some money. Is it going to be enough? That's somewhat dependent upon what other teams do in the division. Uh, I understand the lack of confidence there, but they are they are trying to build themselves to be a winning team next year. Again, my only real surprise here is Andrew Kisner. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they did not tender him a contract. I am not surprised about Dakota Hudson. Uh, he would be second on the list of surprise, and I'm not surprised. And then Juan Yepes and Jake Woodford doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, maybe a little bit of surprise that you know there had been some talk about maybe trying to move on from uh, Tyler O'Neill. And they they tender him a contract. So what does that mean for him? He's somebody that was probably a non-tender candidate. Maybe a bit of a surprise that that doesn't happen. Mark has given us a call. Hey, Mark, you're on Sports Open Line. Yes, I was wanted to talk about what recommendations we have for the Cardinals next year and how they can improve. And my recommendation would be that they hire the five people who currently have the job for the Tampa Bay Rays as their A Hey, Mark, manager. what do you think about these non-tenders? That's what we're talking about right now. Well, that that's precisely what I'm talking about right now. A, hire the Tampa Bay Devil Rays general manager, B, their assistant general manager, C, their director of minor league personnel, D, their director of scouting, and D, E, their director of international scouting, because the Tampa Bay Rays make the playoffs every year with the lowest payroll in baseball, and the Cardinals did not make the playoffs last year. Okay. You didn't ask my question. All right, Mark is... So my question is directly related to what we're talking about tonight, is how the Cardinals can improve their team. No, like I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but I wanted people's thoughts on uh, the non-tenders, and you're telling me who they need to be hiring. Correct. Okay. Can you name the uh, the general manager, president of op- baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays? Yes, it was last year, the year before. It was Chaim Bloom. Uh, no, it wasn't. Bloom was hired many years ago by Boston, and he just got fired by Boston. Appreciate the phone. I'm not trying to like. Not everybody needs to know. Like, we're trying to talk about the breaking news, and we got that. All right, let's go to Chuck. Hey, Chuck, you're on Sports Open Line. Yes. Uh... I uh, was most surprised about them letting Kisner go because I thought the one trade chip they might have was Von Herrera. Now that you trade or let Kisner go, you're not going to trade Herrera. And I also like to know uh, who do you think is going to start in left and center next year for the Cardinals? Chuck, appreciate the uh, appreciate the phone call. I, I, clearly, the big surprise here is Andrew Kisner, and the point that Chuck was getting to right there was you probably weren't going to keep four catchers on the forty man roster. But what kind of trade value did one of those guys have? If there's an injury to another team, if you've made the decision that Andrew Kisner isn't going to be part of the team moving forward, well, maybe you hold on to him because if there's some sort of catcher's injury in spring training, that's a good piece to be able to trade off. Uh, If you are confident in Herrera or if you're uh, confident in uh, Pedro Pajes eventually being the guy and and you want to keep Kisner as your backup, Herrera becomes a trade candidate. So uh, I think Chuck was right on in in why uh, the surprise right there it's 
it's hard to say what the outfield alignment's going to be next year. Jordan Walker's clearly going to be uh, in, in one of the spots. Lars Newtbar is clearly going to be in one of the spots. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that Tyler Neal is going to be on the roster next year. I wouldn't be shocked if Dylan Carlson gets moved. Like I don't know. Uh, it's it's too early. Let's see what this roster. The only the only certainty that I really have on what it's going to look like uh, in the outfield is Walker and, and Newt Bar. That's where I'm at at this point in time. All right, uh, we'll take a break. Again, the, if you're just joining us, the news of the last uh, little while is uh, the fact that the Cardinals did not tender contracts to Dakota Hudson, Andrew Kisner, Juan Yepes, and also Jake Woodford. When we return, we are going to uh, be joined, uh, talk a little college basketball and also everything that's going on uh, in Chicago with the Cubs. Steve Greenberg is going to join us in just a moment as we roll on with the Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We're back on a Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. Again, the breaking news of the last uh, 10, 15 minutes, the Cardinals announcing that they have non-tendered right-hand pitcher Dakota Hudson, catcher Andrew Kisner, outfitter Juan Yepes, and pitcher Jake Woodford. Uh, elsewhere around the NL Central of note, Brandon Woodruff non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers. He becomes a free agent. He's going to be injured, might not pitch next season, but a uh, top pitcher in the National League, whether he's going to be available next year or not, uh, becomes a free agent. So some interesting things going on right now across baseball. Let's go to the Quiver River Electric guest line right now. Very happy to be able to welcome back onto the program, uh, Steve Greenberg. He is a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. You follow him on Twitter at SL Greenberg. Steve, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. How are you? Oh, good. How you doing, Matt? Doing all right. What's, um, as somebody, we're in the baseball offseason, yet it feels like the Cubs are in the news every day, whether it was the hiring of Craig Council or the, uh, the rumors that they're uh, going to go after uh, Shohei Otani and have a legitimate shot at him. Uh, it's, uh, it, it feels like the Cubs are a very relevant team and very relevant part of the conversation in Chicago right now. Sure they are. Uh, more, you know, the, the Council signing went over very well. Um, people were by and large, I think Cubs fans, you know, had the romance for David Ross had, had sort of uh, gone away, let's say, and, and, and the council hiring was a total surprise. And I think all agree, this has a chance to be a real upgrade. I like Ross a lot. I don't really blame him for that collapse over that last month. He was catching grief from Cubs fans all season, you know, uh, too much, I think, relative to, 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 you know, how much the manager affects wins and losses over the course of the season. I wonder what your listeners think of Ollie Marmol. Maybe they're laughing at that. But, um, but Council came in, yeah. I mean, it is seemingly a big-time guy, even though he doesn't have the postseason success on his resume. Um, but beyond that, if you're talking about big-ticket players, Look at Cody Bellinger. It's unlikely they'll, they'll, they'll sign him again. You know, he's a Scott Boris client. The Cubs have absolutely no history of making beautiful music with Boris clients. It's been quite the opposite. Chris Bryant being one of those who, who got away and was never even going to be really uh, uh, negotiated with in earnest because he was a Boris guy. So, so there's that if you want to believe that Shohei Otani might come to the Cubs because there's interest, you know, that's something they get excited about. But the Cubs haven't 
um, given that they, they gave a big contract to Dansby Swanson and before that, Jason Hayward, John Lester. But for a market of, of, of Chicago size and more specifically for an organization that prints money like the Cubs with that ballpark, they are not often in the game for uh, the, the biggest swings in, in free agency. So if they do this, it will be groundbreaking uh, for sure. I wouldn't bet on it, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm just sort of conditioned after years and decades to be skeptical of, of whether they'll actually dig as deep as you have to, to dig to buy a player of, of, of that caliber or even close to that caliber. They have not often done this. Don't forget, Gansby Swanson was kind of like considered the – the number four shortstop last year, and that's the one they got, and that's the one they're kind of building around as a as a as a cornerstone. I know they paid Craig Council a lot of money, and maybe that should just be enough on its own. But do you get the sense that promises were made to him about the team and the resources that he's going to be given? Certainly, um, he's he's led to believe, and the Cubs' intention is to to to, to be aggressive in as much as that's something that they do. I am sure they'll, they will attempt whether it's Bellinger or someone else to put, to put um, real quality at third base and at first base, you know, Nick Madrigal wound up playing third base most of the time last season. And he's a nice player to, to put the bat on the ball. And, but I mean, you know, he's not giving you any power whatsoever. They need a third baseman. They're going to need a first baseman, whether it's Bellinger or someone else, and 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 there are some available in in free agency with power and all that, and and and, and they need starting pitching, so they're going to go out and get players to um, to make them better out of the gate than they were in 2023. I have no doubt about that, uh, and and I think we both agree, you know, the division is just there for the taking, uh, and probably will be for for a couple of years, a few years. And the Cubs might just be considered the team to beat going into next year. Um, but, but again, you know, they have, they have missed or not gone for um, the biggest name guys. You know, they're Juan Soto's out there. Cubs aren't going to, aren't going to get him. Um, there are all kinds of players in every local market, you know, fans get excited about this guy and that guy. And you see, you see uh, images, doctored images of a of a of a wished for player in in your team's uniform. So you know I'm seeing that kind of stuff here, and I think for the most part it's all just sort of silly. But it, the Otani thing would just oh I, I mean I can't even imagine it. I, yeah. I, I I almost can't fathom it happening here. Um, maybe it will, but but I mean wouldn't you think it'd be more likely to happen? Let's say with the with the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I mean there's just. I would say there's like an 80-85% chance he ends up with the Dodgers, but I, I get, I'm i not in Chicago. You are. Uh, but just reading the situation, I listened to an interview that Jed Hoyer did the other day. Man, I, I feel like they're going to take a shot at him. I could be wrong. You're, you're obviously much closer to the situation than I am. No, they'll, 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 I think they'll take a shot. They they wanted, you know, they had a lot of interest in him before when, when uh, Otani was first coming to the big leagues. <laughs> People saw him then as a pitcher, uh, a, 
far and away before they saw him as a slugger, as a as an everyday member of the lineup. Um, he wanted, of course, to hit, and he wanted and, and needed to DH to do that, and needed the American League to do that. So, so maybe you know it's partly because they were they liked him before, but but really didn't get into that the game then. Um, they are, if you look at betting sites and things like that, yeah, the Cubs are 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 right after the Dodgers as as a favorite to to get them. But it would be for Hoyer especially. I mean, Hoyer has not had a a seismic uh, move in his career running the show, at least with the Cubs. I mean, it was Theo's show, and uh, John Lester was around here considered still the biggest signing uh, that the Cubs have had, the one that sort of legitimized the last push for a World Series. So um, Otani would top that, we would all agree, and then some. Let me uh, finish off with this. You've got a vote in the AP College Basketball Top 25. Uh, Illinois had a pretty rough one. Not, I mean, they, they played with Marquette, but they end up losing on their home floor. Uh, and, and now they're playing right now against Valpo. They're down in the first half. They'll probably end up being fine. Uh, where It still feels like with Coach Underwood, we're still waiting for Illinois to have that one really big-time breakthrough season. They, they come into this year in the Top 25. How do you evaluate who they might be? Illinois has the same old problems. Can't shoot. Um, no point guard. You know, and, and I'm and I'm and I'm being a little melodramatic because they have some shooters and they have big guys who can pass the ball. Coleman Hawkins, Terrence Shannon. Um, you know, they have skill, but they don't have they don't have that key component, the playmaker, and the other key component the knockdown shooter that you need at the end of games. So what happens to Illinois in these last couple seasons? They lose a lot of close games. And they don't just lose. They break down late in these games and play ugly offense. And it leaves it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth having watched it. It's hard for me to buy into this Illini team in a big picture sense. I think they're good. I don't think the Big Ten is great. Illinois could be... Uh, top three or four team, and maybe should in that league. But um, it's just the Big Ten. You know, national title since 2000. Purdue, your number one seed, getting bumped in the first round of the NCAA tournament, bringing back essentially the same team. Michigan State losing to James Madison, then losing again the other night against Duke and playing ugly. You know, uh, Big Ten country, we love to, to call it the best league, but. I don't think it is, and certainly not in, in, in basketball, and definitely not this season. He is Steve Greenberg. You read him in the uh, Chicago Sun-Times. You follow him on Twitter at SL Greenberg. Steve, always appreciate you being so gracious with your time. Thanks for coming on tonight. All right, man. Very good. There's Steve uh, Greenberg joining us on the program. Uh, we'll continue to pick his brain on uh, college hoops as we go through the season. Again, Illinois playing right now, and uh, they are trailing Valparaiso. They'll probably win that game. Uh, earlier today, SLU, they end up losing to Vermont in their second game in the uh, in the Myrtle Beach tournament. All right, uh, we're going to keep talking baseball. When we come back, we are going to be joined by uh, Melissa Lockard. She uh, covers uh, baseball and writes for The Athletic. We'll get. Uh, she's been all over the Oakland A's relocation. We'll get her thoughts on that coming up in just a moment as we roll on with the Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. 
It's the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. We're going to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line right now. Very happy to uh, welcome on somebody that you read in the Athletics. Senior editor and staff writer has uh, long been uh, connected uh, covering the Oakland A's. Uh, she is Melissa Lockard. You follow her on Twitter at Melissa Lockard, and uh, she joins us right now. Melissa, thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us today. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, late last night, uh, your most recent article posted, and I, I really enjoyed it and, and thought it was interesting as we talk about the situation involving the A's. Uh, apparently leaving Oakland and going to Las Vegas, it feels like this is just about a foregone conclusion now with everything that's been uh, voted on. And uh, you spent some time talking with some fans in Oakland, uh, a fan group, uh, the Oakland 68s, and uh, there's still some people in Oakland holding out hope. Can you kind of take me through what the what the feeling is in Oakland as it looks like they're about to lose their baseball team? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, people are, are down and discouraged. Um, obviously, uh, a vote is another step towards the team actually leaving. But I think there's not a lot has changed necessarily between, you know, what th- where things stood on Wednesday and where things stand now. Um, everyone kind of knew the vote was more of a formality than anything else. I think that it's been pretty clear since April that the commissioner's office and the owners were going to let John Fisher move forward with his plan. So really, it's always been up to whether John Fisher could actually close this deal. And I do think, you know, there is some sense that um, it may not be an overwhelming chance, but there is still a chance that he can't pull this off because he really, frankly, hasn't been able to pull off any stadium deal in the 18 years that he's been an owner of, of the Oakland A's. Um, so there's a lot of things that could still go wrong. There's some potential pending legislation and a challenge to the legislation that would get him the public funding. And if that public funding fell through, I think the deal would fall through pretty quickly. Uh, he still has to raise enough funds to build the actual stadium himself. And it's not necessarily clear that he has those funds lined up. Um, so, you know, I think there there still is a chance. It's not probably a tremendous chance, but there still is a chance that it falls through. You make the point in your article that about three years ago, it looked like the Howard Terminal option in Oakland was something that in all likelihood was going to happen. And since then, a fair amount of funding was raised for that project. Does that money still exist? I mean, is there any momentum at all towards continuing to keep that idea alive? Yeah, so that funding was mostly approvals um, to get build infrastructure in and around that area. Um, and from what I understand, you know, a lot of the infrastructure projects that had gotten approved uh, will go forward. And so hopefully, you know, at the very least, that area of Oakland will see some positive development. Uh, it won't include a stadium, of course, but um, it, it should hopefully include some stuff to make, you know, an area that's really just been a shipping and receiving um part of the the port district area, something that can be used for other things. So, um, you know, there there could be some positives that come out of all that work that went into it. But, you know, it just goes to show you, I mean, there was so much work to to get all of those different approvals through to get all that money raised for these things to create this area around the stadium that was supposed to be, you know, the reason that they picked that spot. Um, And then he's abandoning that for a spot in Las Vegas where there's literally nowhere to develop around it. So it, it is sort of an interesting contrast in what he's asked from one city and what he's requiring of the other um, that has never really kind of matched up. You mentioned in your article, I thought it was very interesting because just a few years ago when the Raiders are leaving for Las Vegas, the A's had the whole hashtag rooted in Oakland thing. And it just felt like 
uh, they were the ones really pushing uh, to be the leader in sports in that city. And then not long later, uh, they're the ones that are following the Raiders and heading to Las Vegas. How did we get to a point? Is it just a, a money issue and nothing more than that? Or is there a lot of things that go into the A's decision? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the uh, $1.5 billion question, right? Like, uh, you know, these things did seem like they were moving in a different direction before the pandemic happened. And, and certainly I don't know enough personally about John Fisher's finances or the finances of the companies that he um, has owner, ownership share of outside of the A's to know, it, you know, whether those had an impact on, you know, how his outlook looks now compared to where it was before. But, you know, from a lot of talking to a lot of people around it, it just sort of seems like he ran out of patience. And the project that he wanted in Oakland was going to take a lot of patience because he wanted a lot of different things. He wanted it to be this, you know, retail and development um, with housing and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know, that takes a lot to build, especially in California. There's a lot of regulations to get things built. Um, but to build a stadium, he could have done that at any time. I mean, you know, frankly, if he had 20 17 said, I want to build a new stadium at the Coliseum site. As soon as the Raiders left, they could have built that stadium. They'd be two years into it. So, um, you know, it's not a matter, I think, of uh, a want issue from the city side. The city's been really clear. They wanted to keep the A's. Um, It's not a matter of meeting his demands in a lot of respects. It's taken a while, but, you know, that's what happens when you ask for a lot of things. Um, It just seems to be that he kind of ran out of stomach for the project for for whatever reason, and he doesn't seem to want to tell us what that reason was. We're continuing to talk with uh, Melissa Lockard from uh, The Athletic. Does a fantastic job, and uh, hopefully you are subscribed to The Athletic and can read especially the piece that published uh, last night. People in St. Louis, I think, are uh, especially sensitive to this because of the way that the Rams left with Stan Kroenke. And many of the things are very similar, the kind of trashing the city, uh, the tanking the team, doing all these things to set yourself up uh, for the move. Does it feel like there's now almost this, uh, this game plan or this blueprint for professional sports owners on the things that they can do to set themselves up to be able to get out of a city? Yeah, you know, and it, it, it does seem weird, right? Because ultimately, these private businesses can do what they want, regardless of what you know the city they're, they're in. Um, so they don't have to do all of that. I think, um, you know, for all the things the Raiders did that were not necessarily appreciated by the people that live, you know, in the Oakland community, they did try all the way up until the, the moment they left uh, the city of Oakland to win. Um, you know, they actually were very appreciative of their fans when they were leaving. They handled it in a much different way than than the A's have handled this situation, and it's been more of kind of a flash and burn type thing where they're they've cut off you know any kind of relationship they possibly could have had with the fans that were, are staying behind. Um, so there there were different ways to go about doing this. I'm sure the same would be said for uh, the situation in St. Louis. That you know maybe people wouldn't have been huge Las Vegas A's fans, but they would have not felt the way that they feel right now compared to how they've been treated for the last couple of years. But um, instead, you know, he's completely drained the team of its resources, drained the stadium itself of its resources, closing concession stands, raising ticket prices and parking prices and making the whole situation a lot worse than it ever had to be. It feels like moving forward, this can still be very clunky because they might be out of Oakland before the the ballpark is built in Las Vegas. I've read that Maybe Sacramento's AAA ballpark, the Las Vegas AAA ballpark, maybe using the Giants stadium at times. Uh, What does it look like in that time between them exiting Oakland and them eventually getting to Las Vegas? 
Yeah, that is a very good and baffling question. I mean, I guess they think they've got a full year and they can just figure it out when they figure it out. But it, it is sort of mind-boggling to think that they don't actually have any sort of plan for where they're going to play for three full seasons. And how do you build a team that way? I mean, there's literally no one who would sign with a team not knowing where the team is actually going to play its games. Um, it isn't really fair to players. It isn't fair to coaches, um, you know, let alone the people that work for the team that don't make a lot of money and have to know that they're going to be like doing grounds crew work at three different places or being a PR person and setting up shop in a hotel room in three different places. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. And, um, and they, you know, major league baseball players should not have to play major league baseball games in triple a ballparks. And, you know, both the Sacramento and Las Vegas ballparks are very nice triple a ballparks, but they're triple a ballparks, you know, and that's not fair to them either to, to have that be part of the equation. It, it will be interesting to see if that ends up being, one of the solutions, what the players association has to say about it, because, um, you know, that's, a, it's, it's a much, even the Oakland Coliseum is a big step up from a triple a ballpark. Yep. And I think there's going to be a lot to said about having to play players. So. Yeah. It's a, it's wild. And, you know, from a players association standpoint, when, uh, the, uh, Tampa Bay thing happened where they may play half the season in Tampa and half the season in Montreal, Players association. Wait, we got guys with you know wives and kids. They can't be getting two different places for the see. Like it just it doesn't feel like the players association will allow that to go forward. Yeah, I mean it's what was it the Cleveland Spiders that didn't have a home stadium or something yeah. in the 1800s and they used to ride around on a train. I mean I think we've we've probably moved past that as a sport by now for the billions of dollars that goes into this industry. So um, yeah, I, I really don't know how the commissioner has gotten to a point where he's okay with the idea that they don't know where they're going to play. Uh, maybe they think they can extend the lease uh, at the Coliseum for those three years that they have things they can offer that the city will accept. But thus far, as far as I've heard, they have not approached the, the city or the County about extending that lease at all. She is uh, Melissa Lockhart. I think Pretty much sports fans across the country and certainly in St. Louis are hopeful that they find a way to get done in Oakland, even though it seems uh, incredibly unlikely at this point in time. Melissa, thank you so much for uh, taking some time. I encourage people to read you at The Athletic, follow you on Twitter at Melissa Lockhart, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again in the future. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. That's Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic joining us. And, uh, yeah, just uh, encourage you to read what she wrote and thought it was interesting, uh, her talking to the fan group uh, there in Oakland who's – still doing what they can to try to keep the A's in Oakland. And as much as I think sports fans would love to see the A's stay in Oakland, it's probably something that simply is not going to happen. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we are going to uh, wrap up the program. Uh, Rachel Zimmerman is going to stop by. She's got the Rachel Zimmerman show tonight. We'll uh, chat with her for just a uh, few moments before we wrap up this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. News Radio KMOX, the home of the Cardinals. A great our sports overline continues here on KMOX, starting to uh, wrap things up here on a Friday night. Uh, we've got a special coming up uh, for the next hour here on KMOX. It's the state of downtown. You're going to want to listen to that, and then you're going to want to continue to listen as uh, the Rachel Zimmerman show is going to be coming your way this evening at 9 o'clock. She joins us right now. She joins us this time. And Kevin Wheeler is here, too, and we don't really know why. I so, don't either. Yeah. I, 
I just never, ever, ever get enough talking. That's tr- that's true. And now it's uh, so true. Rachel finally gets a chance to have her own show. I'm bringing her in here. And what do you do? You're like, oh, I'll just come I'm on. Like, hey, elbow, elbow, let me in. Well, speaking of people that you already work with being on your show, I know you've got uh, Dave on the program. Yeah. Tonight. So this week we kicked off our our uh, collaboration with Operation Food Search and Hardee's, which we do every year at the holiday season. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have Dave on the show to talk about that a little bit and maybe remind people on the weekends to go to Hardee's and donate a dollar to Operation Food Search. I I say this in truth, not just because we're doing this with them, but Hardee's breakfast, without a doubt, like it's not, oh. there is a large gap between them and whoever number two is. There's no contest. Yeah, the fast food restaurant, Hardee's, those biscuits, it's the best. The hash rounds? Yeah. Give me a break. It's so good. So good. So uh, you can round up, you can donate the dollar, whatever it is. And uh, how many, I'm putting you on the spot, how many years has, have you guys done this? I think this is year six or seven. It's okay. been a while. It's been a long time. Um, and we've raised over $500,000, which Operation Food Surge is such an amazing organization. They can take a dollar and stretch it into $10. So that $500,000 is like $5 million worth of food that the DGS audience has raised. So Wheels, I'm really good at taking $10 and stretching it down to $1 going the other way. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm yeah. really good at taking $10 in my pocket and turning it into no dollars in my pocket. Yeah, that's a, so Operation but Food Search. But if it search, goes to Operation Food Search, then, then, then they're turning it into 100 which makes it yes, even better. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you just got back from a uh, quite a trip as well. Yeah, I was in Japan for almost two weeks, and it was just the greatest experience of my life thus far. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I'm i still like in withdrawal. I just want to go back as soon as I possibly can. What made it so great? Oh, it's a great question. Um, it's a beautiful country, first of all, but I've always wanted to go to like a huge city. I've never been to like New York City. I've always wanted to go my whole life. So to kind of skip over that and go to Tokyo, which is 44 million mm-hmm. people, that was just insane and so fun to be there. Uh, also went to Kyoto, which is more of a rural area, and the nature was just so beautiful. And I don't know, there's just something about how orderly and nice everything is in Japan. It just clicked for me. It just made sense. I've never been off the continent. I've been up to, I've been in Canada, I've been down to Mexico, Mm -hmm. but I've never left our our continent. You, Wills? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. High school, went to France for an exchange program. Wife and I went to Italy like 10 years ago. That was a X trip. We did this advertising and went with a bunch of KMOX listeners. They should start doing stuff like that again. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's all go. Let's just and go play. The, the best one was going to Sydney for the Olympics in 2000. Okay. That nice. was a work trip. That was a, quote, work trip. Well, and don't you always feel like the cliche, like, kid going away and studying abroad when you come back? You're like, no, travel is so amazing. It Listen is. to me. It's the best. You, it, it turns you into, like, an, ev- an evangelist. Yeah. You're like, I can't wait to spread the word of traveling. <laughs> well, I, in my job, especially when I was doing a lot of basketball play-by-play, I would travel a lot. And I, uh, the team I broadcast for played down in Cancun once at the Cancun Challenge. We went up to... Uh, Victoria, British Columbia, which is just an amazingly beautiful city. It is cool, and I know you just did it for for yourself, but it is cool when you're able to go places connected to work that are really, really neat. Yeah, because yeah. that means someone else is paying. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, we got to get on Steve Moore and get yeah. these trips going again. Yeah. Let's go. Just, we've got three people who are very willing to travel on behalf of KMOX right now, so you can do that. Uh, anything else of note uh, coming up on the program tonight? Uh, I talk about Japan a little bit. Also go over a couple stories from the week that maybe you haven't heard, but my interview with Dave is really great. We don't just talk about OFS. We talk about his career, the way he approaches work, and it was a really great conversation. Anything you need to add, Wheels? 
No. I'm going to listen to hey, Rachel. you and I, we're going to do something together yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, how about yeah. that? We're going to go to the 9.30 Saturday night show for our buddy Greg Warren That's over awesome. at the Funny Bone. Yeah, Greg was on uh, with DGS earlier uh, this I week. I love Greg. Greg's the best. I remember seeing him doing open mics at that Funny really? Bone years and years ago. That's Paulie's crazy. an OG. It would be like him and like Tommy Johnigan would be there. Oh, wow. Like yeah, yeah, some, yeah. some folks who were... Really, really good, and uh, it's just fun. And uh, I saw Seinfeld and Gaffigan this past week when they were at the Enterprise Center on Saturday, and Jerry specifically mentioned memories of playing the Westport Funny Bone when he was coming up as a comedian and how much he loved that room. Now, obviously, he's playing bigger rooms now. Uh, but that's just, it's an iconic comedy club in this country, and it's really cool to uh, to be able to go there tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, I haven't been to the Funny Bone in a long time. Yeah. Just pra- out of practical reasons, not objection. I can't wait to be back there, and I just I love I love Greg, so it makes it even more fun when you know the person and mm-hmm. you know he, obviously he's been in with us a lot of times. He's been on a lot of other shows I've done over the years. Greg is just flat out hilarious. Yes, if you can go, highly recommend. His, say uh, hi to Matt and Kevin. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, you could. That's probably the, there's no reason to because I mean you can. Matt Matt is the short redheaded guy, <laughs> and, and Kevin's the, uh, the six tall. three six four yeah. big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Kevin, Rachel, thanks. Thanks, Matt. All right, uh, that's gonna do it for this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you again real soon here on KMOX.